I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On the last podcast, Luke Rowe was expressing his sympathy for, among others, riders who'd managed to achieve their dream of a pro contract, keen to prove their worth to their new team, who then found themselves on lockdown. On this edition, we hear from one of them, Australian Jess Pratt, who should be racing in Europe, but is stuck at home in Brisbane. Photographer Michael Bland has updated his classic book on cycling's great mountains, and he's still hoping to see some of them later this year. And star producer and DJ MJ Cole talks about his new classical album and his collection of Colnagos. This is the Ruler podcast, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. If things were going to plan, we should have just had the first mountain finish of the Giro, with a few more hilly stages to come before we hit the coast and Marco Pantani's old hunting grounds around Cesanatico. That's on hold until, we hope, sometime in October. But cycling fans still need their fix of mountains. Well, luckily, regular ruler contributor Michael Bland has brought out a new version of his classic coffee table book, Mountains, Epic Cycling Climbs, with new photographs, new essays and plenty of new climbs. So where did his obsession with taking pictures of mountains come from? It was never really an obsession to start with, but it's sort of grown into a little bit of that. It originally started uh, for a campaign I was shooting for Shimano in Mallorca and they needed some additional images to go in the design that they were doing. And they asked me if I could shoot some landscapes. And so I went around Mallorca and shot a few sort of scenic landscapes for the campaign. And it kind of got me thinking that cycling landscapes maybe hadn't really been covered that much. And so I sort of started to do a bit of a mini personal project. And I went off to Italy and shot a few landscapes. And what I realised quite quickly was that all the cycling press generally was done by guys on the back of motorbikes. And they never had time to sort of get away from the road and really sort of view those landscapes with a bit more detail and with a bit more sort of introspection they were always focused on the the action so then that's kind of was was my lead in i started to pull back from these roads and started to shoot these landscapes and then obviously over time this developed into a body of work which then got shown to various people and then eventually book publishers at thames and hudson and and kind of the book and everything else came secondary to that initial idea. Do you sort of prefer taking pictures with cyclists in them or is it the landscapes that really uh, 
that really excite you or kind of combination of the two, I guess? It's very much the landscape comes first. It's important for the book, certainly to have images which feature cyclists, because the whole book is really about these these climbs that are made famous by the, the big cycle races like the Tour de France and the Giro and the Welter Espana and things. And so, you, you know, the reason I'm photographing these mountains is that they've got provenance because of the racing and the cycling history. So, you, it, it, you know, it's important to have a, a kind of tangible link back to the cycling, but primarily it's the view and the landscape and the road that is the most important thing to me. Can you kind of sum up the appeal of mountains uh, from from your point of view? Uh, I mean, they've given us everything to cycling, really, haven't they? They've they've been the backdrop for all these stories and all the history, you know, especially in the Grand Tours. And I guess it's really a, a case of paying homage to the mountains. They're also unique as well. You don't really realise how unique each mountain is and how and how unique each range is as well. So you'll go somewhere like the Pyrenees, which are very green and lush, you know, and you realise the geography because they're closer to the the Atlantic coast and it's slightly, you know, moister air there that they become very lush. And then you go, you know, somewhere like the Dolomites, which are made up of, you know, granite and they're very angular and uh, severe. And, you know, they all have different characters. So I, I... I guess, you know, you're trying to get across that as well in these images, show people, you know, the differences. And also there's the other aspect. You're always trying to show people what they've actually done. You know, a lot of cyclists will climb a mountain but never be get away from the road. But then when you pull back from the road, you kind of put context to, to these achieve, achievements that people are doing. Because until, I guess, relatively recently, people were quite scared of mountains, weren't they? And they were they were quite sort of dark and... Uh, and threatening places yeah i mean with every right to be to be honest i mean you know i think it's any cyclist that embarks going up a mountain you know starts out with a little bit of trepidation you know because it is very much about man man against mountain so you know and the reason we climb these things is that to get to the top and it's like you know a victory in itself mountains are very changeable places you know you can you can start at the bottom and it's the summer and you get to the top and it feels like the winter, you know, the, the change in sort of temperatures and climate and things as you as you climb a mountain can really vary and it's quite easy to get caught out. There's a new edition of your book, uh, Mountains, Epic Cycling Climbs, and you've put some new climbs in there. What are the new ones? Oh, there's, there's quite a few. There's 14 new climbs in total and... There's also updates to many of the climbs that are in the first edition. So they were, you know, I put that first book together in a two or three years, which sounds like a long time, but there's a short window to photograph these things. There were climbs in there that I felt I hadn't really done justice to, things like the Col de Glandon and things like and the Quad de la Claire. And then there were other areas that I really wanted to explore, like Portugal was never in the original book. And there's an amazing climb called the um, Estrella out, out in Portugal. And it's one of the most beautiful places I've been. So, so that made an appearance. There were places like the Passas Pluga, which sits on the Swiss-Italian border, which is an absolutely amazing climb. 
I'm trying to think where else we went. There, there's, there's many sort of climbs in there, so maybe lesser known climbs as well that's now made a feature in the book. Do you have a favourite climb after all these years? I wouldn't say a favourite, no. I mean, I really like going to the Dolomites, you know. It's partly because it's Italy and it's a really nice place to go. But I'm also, you know, it's kind of exploring new areas. Like last year, I also went to Slovenia, photographed a couple of climbs there, which were amazing, uh, Mangart and Vizric. But I have to say things like the Estrella in Portugal were pretty amazing. But then you have your old favourites like, you know, the Bontu. It's very hard not to be impressed by the Bontu. And talking of the Dolomites, I mean, the Stelvio must be one of the most photogenic. Yes, the, the most difficult thing about the Stelvio is that everyone's taken a photo of the Stelvio. And so, you know, as a photographer, you're, you're, you're always really conscious of that and wanting to try to do things differently or to show people a different angle. And in fact, I have um, an appointment with the Stelvio later in the year. Uh, there's a view that I want to photograph, which involves quite a, quite a big hike. And so basically you're looking from the opposite direction and you're looking up, up the climb and looking at the whole of the climb rather than standing at the top looking down, which is where you see most photographs. Well, hopefully you and the rest of us can get to some mountains soon. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy, the new um, calendar that's been proposed, you know, with it all being stacked in August, September, October and November. So it could be that I'm going to spend a lot of time basically in the mountains in the, the autumn, which in fact is, is the best time of year to go to the mountains, in my opinion, because it gets a bit quieter. The weather in, is, is more ideal for it. And especially if you go late, the colour starts to change as well. So you get these beautiful sort of browns and, uh, and yeah, hopefully a little bit of dusting of snow on the top as well. It becomes very picturesque. Well, sometimes you get more than the dusting at that time of year as well, especially in the Dolomites, don't you? Yeah, well, in the Dolomites, you can get it in the middle of the summer, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, the Dolomites, I mean, because they're so high and they're so central, they really do get the worst of the weather. But, you know, equally, you have amazing days in the Dolomites as well, you know. I can remember, in fact, when we did um, photograph Maria Cannons for Ruler magazine in the Dolomites, it was the most amazing weekend of weather there. And uh, we actually hired a helicopter and, and flew over the Dolomites and... Uh, it's probably one of the most memorable experiences of uh, being in the mountains for me. If you had a piece of advice for someone who wants to take pictures of uh, mountains while they're on their bike or while they're on their trips, what would it be? I, I guess it's just to stop and look a little bit, you know, and if they're wanting to take a great photo, then, you know, maybe maybe get away from the road and don't always choose the, the same spot that you see everyone else taking a photograph from. If, if you wanted a technical tip from me, I never photograph with the sun on my back. I'm always photographing either into the light or with cross light because um, I think it's uh, always more interesting. Michael Bland and his book, Mountains, Epic Cycling Climbs, is available, including a limited number of unique signed editions on the Ruler website. And while you're there, check out the rest of the Emporium, the coolest brands in cycling, all under one roof. And if you haven't already, take out a subscription to the magazine so we can continue to bring you the best in cycle racing journalism. Jess Pratt won the Canyon Sram Zwift Academy at the end of last year, which guaranteed her a place on the team this season, her first as a World Tour pro. Of course, things haven't gone quite to plan. Yeah, it's been a very interesting year. Obviously, 
crazy stuff is happening in the world. Um, yeah, it was meant to be in Girona right now, but um, obviously because of COVID-19, I'm stuck in Brisbane, Australia, but I'm very grateful to be at home and nice and healthy. And obviously there's crazy things happening in the world at the moment. So just doing my part to stay stay at home and stay safe and hopefully um, things will move forward in the right direction soon. And what's the position in Queensland where you are? Because um, uh, the restrictions on sort of exercise and and riding outside seem to be slightly less restrictive than they are in in Europe at the moment. Yeah, we're reasonably lucky in Australia um, being an island. um, I think we got onto things quite quickly and they sort of, the Australian government told everyone who was overseas basically either choose to come home or stay where you are type thing. Um, and we pretty much shut our borders to everyone um, or international or anyone traveling internationally that was arriving back in Australia had to be quarantined for 14 days. So I live in Queensland in Australia. Um, they've, we've shut our borders to the rest of Australia. So, um, and we we're getting zero cases most days these days. Um, we've been lucky enough to ride out on the roads and that sort of thing in this time because exercise was classed as essential. But yeah, we're definitely, we're starting to ease restrictions now, which has been good. But um, yeah, who knows what will happen. It's just um, following the rules and social distancing still. So, but I think we're in a reasonably good pace in Australia. So hopefully things stay that way and you managed to get in some racing earlier this year didn't you yeah I was lucky enough to um yeah start 2020 with um well we had the Australian National Championships and then I went on to race tour down under Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race and Herald Sun Tour so I was very fortunate to get to start my um year my my professional career um on home soil with Kenya Tram this time last year you know Zwift uh, racing on Zwift was a was a pretty sort of niche activity but but now everyone's doing it aren't they yeah it's pretty interesting um, I think yeah just about everybody's on Zwift these days which is super exciting because it's a really cool community very addictive um yeah I'm absolutely loving being on Zwift at the minute and racing and yeah it just keeps keeps things a little bit more normal. <laughs> uh, and what was it that drew you to the Zwift Academy because you know unlike some of the people who've come through that process you are actually you know an experienced or you know relatively experienced young racer aren't you? Yeah well I guess I'd met um, Tanya at Tour Down Under in 2018 and sort of heard her story a little bit got to ride around with her and I was sort of like oh that's pretty cool and I'd seen a little bit about Leah um and then yeah I followed in I followed in 2018 I followed Ella's journey and I was like that's pretty cool like um Ella's obviously raced a little bit in NZ and I'd seen her race in Australia a few times and that sort of thing and I was like that's really cool what she's done um and yeah, I was just racing in Australia and that sort of thing. I'd had the opportunity to race over in Europe and a few things like that, but it's quite challenging from Australia um, to get over to Europe. And I was just sort of looking at my options to get back to Europe and try and give cycling a crack, but there didn't really appear to be much. Um, I'd just finished my university degree when Zwift Academy started last year. So it just seemed like a really good opportunity just to give it a crack, see what happens. Um, if I was to go well, yeah, it would have been amazing, but I was really just looking forward to just giving Zwift Academy a crack. What are the big differences, do you think, between what you need to sort of race well on Zwift or any other online option and, and actually racing in the, in the real world? How much are the skills interchangeable? 
Yeah, no. So it's yeah, it's very interesting. There's there's de- there's clear differences between racing on the road and racing on Zwift. It's really important racing on Zwift. You need to actually understand how to ride on Zwift, what a power up is, how to draft efficiently, that sort of thing. And I'll admit, I'm still learning quite a bit about how to race effectively on Zwift. And the more you race on Zwift, the more you learn, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's really cool how different things come into play in Zwift racing. Like of course it's your physical ability is really important but it's a person who uses their power in the right way on Zwift that tends to succeed which is really interesting. So it tends to sort of favour a particular type of rider I guess doesn't it someone who's got those sort of big the big power output? Yeah sort of it sort of um, favours a rider who's done their research and who understands how to race on Zwift yeah just anyone who knows how to use their power ups in the right way and just save energy and um, has a high watts per kilo and knows the course and that sort of thing so a bit like road racing but um yeah it's definitely you learn more about Zwift the more you race so yeah. Uh, have you seen the uh, proposed uh, women's schedule for the sort of rest of this year and and next year as well? Yeah right now asking me I'm just be very keen to race at all in any of the races um uh, it's yeah, really exciting how new races are popping up and that sort of thing, like the women's Paru Bay. Yeah, I've watched a few documentaries on that and over the yeah period in isolation and that sort of thing. And it seems like an extremely exciting race, and to have a women's version is just awesome. Jess, thanks for joining us. Uh, continue to uh, ride and stay safe, and hopefully we will see you in Europe later this year. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You're listening to the Ruler Podcast, supported by Lacker. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. So I'm Toby Taupitz, the CEO and co-founder of Lacker. We've been going for over two years by now, and we can confidently say that we are 25% cheaper than our competitors. So you save money with Lacker while getting a unique and much better experience. One thing we're really, really proud of is that we're doing all claims in-house. So when you file a claim with us, it doesn't go to a third-party administrator in the middle of nowhere. It sits with us, with our claims handlers, who are no insurance people, but are actual um, bike mechanics. Fairly unique, we believe, and that really gives us a unique take on the customer experience. And you can find out more about Lacker's unique approach to insurance on laka.co.uk. Sincere by MJ Cole, soundtrack to a thousand club nights in the 90s, and one of, if not the first, UK garage tune to cross over into the mainstream. But since then, MJ Cole has been producing music pretty constantly, including a new classical album and riding his bike. Yeah, so I, I, I've kind of been active since about um, 97, something like that. And then, uh, yeah, Sincere, the single, I think, came out in 98 to start with. And then I got signed to Giles Peterson's label, Talking Loud. And I had an, an album by the same name out in 2000. I think it's going to be 20 years this uh, December, actually. Uh, and then since then, I've just been, you know, making music, DJing around the world, remixing, producing for other people, writing songs, basically um trying to be in the studio making a creative noises I and mean, you've had a slightly lower profile over the past few years but you've been working all that time and working with some big names as well haven't you yeah that's true i've been uh writing songs so, so i worked on uh crown with stormzy last year i've done things with 
you know, Dizzy Rascal, done a lot of um, writing with Jimmy Napes and Mary J. Blige and remix for loads of people, um, done stuff with, you know, AJ Tracy, lo- lots of different things and run my own label as well. So, yeah, I've kind of, uh, I-, I think I popped up in the 2000s because I was on a major label, but I've still been busy doing my stuff and, and, and now I've got an album out on a major again. So it just becomes more apparent. You get your head above water, I think. So how does the bike fit in? into all this because you are a keen cyclist aren't you yeah so um cycle wise i think i started i always had a a bike as a kid uh, I lived out in Richmond near Richmond Park and I had a I had a Richmond Cycles bike from when I was about 15 or 16. I think it was a Ali Kuwahara frame or something with um, Shimano 105 on it. That would have been back in, you know... So the 90s, isn't it? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s, something like that. I got back into it in about 2009. I just turned into a bit of a slob, a uh, studio slob. So I kind of uh, got back into it in 2009. Uh, got another road bike then and then I did this uh, Fireflies tour across the Alps in 2011 and 2012 and since then I've just been riding a lot it's you know it's my solace and it keeps me fit and I just love everything about it really is the Fireflies ride is that the one where you get the Colnago yeah they made um they've made a few i think they did a uh i don't know was it a c c60 c59 there was definitely a special and they did there was a steel that they did as well i don't know if they've done a c64 i actually ride a c64 now but not a um fireflies one but yeah you you can spot them a mile off they're red frames with uh tiny little fireflies all over them so you've moved on to a colnago now then yeah i had i had a c59 probably for probably since 2012 uh had a bad crash on that and insurance wise i managed to get another one so i got a disc c64 in the uh blue which is my kind of a bike so you're still um touring and doing dj um stuff as well aren't you yeah no i stopped um i stopped djing about a year and a half ago not to say that i won't again but i just um i was concentrating on studio so so no i've never actually taken a bike abroad i've hired one through rafa um you know when i've been in different cities but uh, i've never taken one abroad for work but obviously i've got a bike box and um taking bikes you know uh to the alps and sort of girona and and places like that so how much uh riding have you been able to do in the past uh, month or so well i've been doing mostly turbo really um i've been out and about it's a bit boring not riding with my mates i kind of i, I normally ride with um uh the rafa north london lot because they're kind of local to me and it's a great bunch and we do wednesday morning hills and uh you know laps of regents and then go out you know up north at the weekend so i haven't really been riding with them but i've been doing uh turbos uh, um on zwift you know with discord on um you know eight o'clock every morning sometimes twice a day actually so i think the turbo's been pretty good but um i miss the fresh air and the camaraderie of the outdoors so your um new album mj coles presents madrugada that's a bit of a surprise on first hearing because it's 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 almost a classical album isn't it yeah i mean i come from classical i started playing the piano when i was about five 
uh, and had a very classical upbringing. I went to music college and it was all about performance. I played the oboe as well. Um, and then I got into dance music when I was a teenager. So a lot of people don't really know that I came from classical. So for me, it's been quite a natural album to make. And I think in a way it's um, it's been brewing probably for my whole life. But my foundations of my music are, are all based around classical. So yeah, it's just been a great opportunity to make an album um, in that vein. And I know you were planning to do a video for connected to the album or on a bike did you ever manage to do that well yeah i had this kind of idea because magic art is about you know the time between midnight and when the sun comes up in the morning and so you know i had an idea of just going up near me like ali pali at five in the morning just catching the sunrise and actually got a gopro together with a chest harness um, and I started from Trafalgar Square. This was like a month ago or something. Got up at 4.30, started from Trafalgar Square with the GoPro on, got up to Ali Pali, right to the top, beautiful sunrise, very happy with myself, just stayed there with the GoPro on, uh, got home, you know, uh, very tired because it was really early, got home and looked at the footage and uh, the GoPro had steamed up. So that was completely useless, yeah. But I, d I did, you know, it was a good idea in theory. Yeah, I'll have to do that some other time. But, y you know, it's funny because cycling now, um, having spent years and years DJing in clubs and driving home at five in the morning and, and experiencing this sort of madrugada time from that point of view, I'm much more likely to experience it from getting up and riding my bike at uh, five in the morning now. Congratulations on the album. Hope everything goes well with it. Um, and uh, hopefully may see you out on the uh, road at some point uh, when things get back to normal. Yeah. Um, can we play a little bit of a track from uh, the album? Yeah, please do. Uh, which one would you recommend? Um, let me think. I mean, the first track is probably most cycling orientated because it's uh, it's called A Trip to Lolita. And, and this was the name of a ride that we did from Girona. Uh, I think we went about a year ago, actually. About a year ago, we went to Girona and, and one of the rides was uh, a visit to Lolita. And that's the first track on the album. Trip to Lolita from MJ Cole Presents Madrugada, which is out on Decca Records. Ruler's Desire editor Stuart Clapp was in the band, but he doesn't like to talk about it much. But I can't imagine, Stuart, you were one for the two-step and the white Reeboks. No, I, <laughs> I was into black ones because Metallica wore black ones. But in, on that hindsight, with MJ Cole going on before me, it's like I'm headlining. So, I'm, you know, if in doubt, drop a bit of uh, weather report. Um, but yeah, that's quite cool having him on. Is he, he's a mate of yours, right? No, you just got in touch with the podcast. He's a big fan of Ruler, big fan of the podcast, and uh, he's got uh, some new music out. So he wanted to uh, he wanted to talk about it. Um, nice to have someone cool on, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely. It's quite funny because we've we've discussed this before about people that we know in music that are really into cycling. We've obviously had Perry on from Perry from Pendulum. And uh, our mutual friend, Daniel P. Carter, the Radio 1 rock show uh, presenter, before all this 
lockdown gubbins, I was um, I was riding with him like fairly regularly. He's he's quite a keen cyclist. How are you doing? I'm good. How's uh, how's your lockdown reading going? My lockdown reading is uh, is it's been good. I've been I've read a lot of, of fiction as we were discussing before, but I also um, since the last podcast we were talking about this, I found a copy of Ten Points, Bill Strickland's book, after your sort of recommendation for it um but i got it in america so, like i wait, waited but a couple of weeks for it to arrive but um once i got it i sort of i went through it in a couple of days it is quite an interesting read isn't it i always hesitate uh, recommending it because i think it's brilliant but it's also a bit disturbing in places yeah it is but it's sort of in a way fairly life-affirming as well I don't want to reveal too much about the book, just in case anyone wants to read it. But it's pretty hard going. It's horrible to read that about anyone. But it's like, you know, the the level of abuse. I don't think I'm giving anything away there. I think that's actually on on it. But how like Bill Strickland came out of it is just testament to him, really. It's that's you know, it's quite it's quite something. And I think very few people write as well as he does about what it's actually like to be in a bike race um even you know at whatever level um his kind of description of what it's like to be in a pack even on a sort of wednesday night crit or whatever is um i think he's among the best yeah absolutely you can there's there's so much you know you you a lot of a lot of riders talk about it and it's it's sort of I mean, I don't know whether they're writing it themselves, but they're getting the, the ghostwriter, whatever it is, to, to get that across. I guess you kind of have to be there and explain it. And obviously, Bill Strickland's a journalist, so he writes in a style that a journalist does. So it's shorter sentences. It's to the point, and it's a very easy read. It's very fast to read, so you keep up with the story, and it's really engaging, I think. so. But, yeah, that's been really, really good. I've, I, I did enjoy it. In fact, I've had a couple of people ask me about cycling books and what to read over this. And, you know, I recommended a few. And I said that I was reading this one that you told me about. And, uh, yeah, I got through it. And you're still riding them? Yeah, I've been riding. I've read, I've, I've, I know that there's a lot of people that are reluctant to go out riding, kept it to Zwift and indoor training and stuff. But I'm not really into training, if you know what I mean. I think there's a difference between going out riding your bike and training. And I think when I do anything indoors, it feels too much like training and then I can't get my head into it. So, but yeah, I've been riding not far or fast, sort of been doing an hour or so a day. But it's funny, but because I'm doing an hour a day and I'm not going out for like, oh, I've got a bit of free time today. I'll do like three hours or whatever. What I've been doing is going shorter, but instead of having like a day off or two days off during the week, I've just mixed it up and I've got my gravel bike out, taking my camera with me. And going to look at like historic locations. <laughs> You've been exploring, haven't you? Yeah, I am cool, honest. I'm really cool. But um, when you're riding your road bike, you, you're looking at like an average speed or watts if you've got a power meter and stuff like that, or heart rate and all these numbers. But when you have a gravel bike or like a cross bike or mountain bike, just get off road. That goes and it's a little bit pure it's a little almost like you know when you first got into riding anyway it's like you didn't you didn't really ride for the sake of i want to ride an average speed you go out because you want to ride a bike somewhere and i think that purity comes across when you've like got out on your 
off road and gravel or something, you know, just just exploring. It's like being a kid again. I found loads of stuff like round right on like literally on my doorstep. I'm looking out my balcony like now and I can see across to the mudflats because the tide is just coming in. And pretty much opposite where I am now, if I look directly south, two B-17 bombers um, collided in World War II and crashed out on the mud. So I went out there around Canvey and Canvey Point um, on the seawall out there. And you can see bits poking out of the mud. And I thought, oh, that might that must be the remains of the aeroplane. But actually, it turns out they're not. But what I could see are actually D-Day landing craft, which they left to rot out on the mud. I was on Google Earth yesterday looking at a, um, a uh, what are they called? Searchlights, yeah. For um, And these were for uh, to dazzle Zeppelin pilots, I think. It might be World War One. I'm not sure. But um, there's one of those. And um, I've got to, I want to find that next. Are you still keeping up with the uh, goings-on in the pro peloton? Yeah, I have social media. I'm on Instagram. And there's no other real Instagram that you need, is there, to be honest, when you've got Heinrich Hauslers. I've been watching Heinrich, where he's been going. I follow him on Strava as well. It's not too creepy. I mean, I've just been watching his story from today and he's up in the mountains and he's, uh, I've just seen that his DI2 battery run out. And, I thought, and I'm afraid once again, we are going to have to interrupt Stuart and his Heinrich Hausler fantasies. And that's it from this podcast. Stay safe, keep riding if you can and talk soon. And I'll tell you what, if, if I live near him, I'd pop out now and I'd, uh, I'd slot my battery in him, in his bike. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.